This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Welcome, Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoin. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. TalkCatholic.com with Tim Kilcoin at Thanksgiving time, and I was kind of browsing the internet a little bit, and for some reason, the name Paul Harvey came to my mind, the late great commentator at Thanksgiving. And I was not disappointed to find a beautiful Thanksgiving story that Paul Harvey once told all about an old man who would weekly visit a pier on the east coast of Florida. Every Friday night until his death in 1973, he would return with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to him and he would feed them from his bucket. However, as you might have guessed, there is a backstory. In October 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a flight mission over the South Pacific during World War II. Somewhere over the middle of the ocean, he and his men became lost and beyond the reach of radio. The crew of eight had to ditch their plane in the Central Pacific Ocean. Over the course of 24 days, they drifted thousands of miles in the scorching sun, torrential rain, and rough seas. They spent many sleepless nights as sharks circled and even rammed their raft. Most significantly, they faced the prospect of starvation as the bulk of their rations were destroyed by salt water. Things were dire, and they prayed for divine intervention. In Captain Eddie's own words, Cherry, the pilot, read the service that afternoon, and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out some of the glare, I dozed off. Something landed on my head. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew. I just knew, and everyone else knew too. Captain Eddie caught the gull. They ate what they could and then used the intestines for bait to catch fish. This gift buoyed their hopes and infused them with a will to live. In fact, the men credited their survival to this one lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, who seemed to offer itself as a sacrifice. Of course, Captain Eddie never forgot. Every Friday evening, so the story goes, about sunset along the east coast of Florida, you could see an old man walking, white-haired, slightly bent. His bucket was filled with shrimp to feed the gulls. This was his way of remembering and giving thanks. Let us pray. We have set this day aside, O God, to also remember and give thanks. We too have been blessed by your bountiful provision, by your goodness and grace. Out of gratitude, we return our hearts and our lives to you. Use us in the days and weeks ahead to bless others, and by so doing, to bless you. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, our Father. Great is thy faithfulness through Jesus Christ. Amen. And I say again with joy, down with woke, because God spoke. Thank God for Christopher Columbus discovering America, one great land that we will not erase the memories of. Stories like this from Paul Harvey dot our landscape of history, and we deserve to hear those stories. And I was watching a movie on St. John Paul II called Carol, the Man Who Became Pope. There's also a sequel, The Pope, the Man. What a spectacular but gruesome, frightening account of the early part of his life in Poland, witnessing the atrocities of Auschwitz, etc. And then I thought to myself of what 
recently has been going on in the Middle East. Nothing has changed, ladies and gentlemen. Evil remains most ugly. And may we not wait for utter disaster to come to us before we begin to express the kind of gratitude that is only appropriate at this time of the year. God be praised. Okay, let us start now with our saint of the month, Pope St. Leo the Great. St. Leo the Great, also known as Pope St. Leo I, was born into a Roman aristocratic family. His response to the call of the Lord transformed him into one of the greatest popes of Christian history. In fact, he was the first pope to be given the title, The Great. Details pertaining to Leo's place of birth are not known, but it is believed his ancestors come from Tuscany. St. Leo the Great became a very well-known deacon of the church by 431, serving the church under the pontificate of Pope Celestine I. Leo was widely respected for his love of the Lord, intelligence, and persuasive nature. He was also gifted in bringing reconciliation between disputing groups of Christians. That is why he was often sent out to settle disputes, both secular and theological. Following the pontificate of Pope Celestine, the next pope was Pope Sixtus III. Pope Sixtus passed away while Leo was visiting Gaul at the request of Emperor Valentinian III. His task was to bring peace between one of Gaul's chief military commanders and the chief magistrate. Leo was then unanimously elected as the next pope to succeed Pope Sixtus III in 440. His swift election reflected the respect he had garnered among the people from his service to the Lord and the affection the faithful had for this pastoral and wise servant of the Lord. Pope Leo was deeply dedicated to his service as Pope. He saw himself as privileged to sit in the chair of Peter as servant of the servants of God. He worked diligently as Peter's successor. Over time, Leo became known as one of the best administrative popes of the ancient church, but he was so much more. During his reign, he tirelessly fought to preserve the unity of the church and its faith and to ensure the safety of his people against invasions from armies which sought to destroy the church and the Christian influence on culture which she brought to bear. Pope Leo I focuses pontificate on four main areas. He continuously worked to oppose and root out numerous heresies which were threatening the Western Church. Among them were Pelagianism, which involved denying original sin and failing to understand the necessity of God's grace for salvation. At the foundation of the Pelagian era was the mistaken notion that we can perfect ourselves without God's grace and assistance. The other major heresy threatening the Church was Manichaeanism. This heresy denied the goodness of the human body, creation, and even matter itself. It failed to understand the full implications of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In fact, it denigrated the human body. In short, it everything material is evil. That denies the very teaching of the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament. It also rejects the very heart of the gospel message. Pope Leo I was a great defender of the orthodox teaching of the Catholic Christian Church and protected the full deposit of faith. The whole church is still indebted to him for this. During the same period, some Eastern Christians began questioning the teaching of the church concerning the relationship between Jesus' humanity and his divinity and how to articulate this mystery of the Christian faith. In response, Leo resolved the doctrinal controversy with a letter setting down the church's official teaching on Jesus Christ as one person with a human and a divine nature which could not be separated. This profound and theologically astute letter reconciled the disputing parties. It preserved the core teaching concerning Jesus Christ. Finally, it affirmed the fullness of what occurred in the incarnation as well as its implication for all men and women 
who are baptized into Jesus Christ. Along with his dynamic faith and outstanding theological wisdom, Pope Leo I was also most courageous. He led Rome's defense against Attila the Hun's barbarian invasion of Italy in 452 by taking on the role of peacemaker. Pope St. Leo focused heavily on the pastoral care of his people. He inspired and helped to foster charitable work in areas of Rome affected heavily by famine, refugees, and poverty. To him, being a Christian was not only about embracing the fullness of the gospel theologically, but living it out in the world with the hurt, suffering, and needs. In 1754, Pope Benedict XIV proclaimed Leo I a doctor of the church. Pope Leo I faithfully and unequivocally held to the belief that everything he did and said as Pope represented Jesus Christ and St. Peter. His feast day is November 10th. Pope St. Leo I, please pray for us at a time of real division, confusion, and turbulence within Holy Mother Church herself. We need your prayers. Amen. Now let's listen to Pope St. Leo the Great and some of his notable quotables from the website azquotes.com. Here's a beautiful one for Thanksgiving. No one, however weak, is denied a share in the victory of the cross. No one is beyond the help of the prayer of Christ. And that's something to reflect on during this Thanksgiving. Not only are we offering prayers to our Lord in Thanksgiving to him, but he's offering prayers for us. No one is beyond the help of the prayer of Christ. It's kind of nice, the very consoling to truly know that our Lord himself is praying for you. I offer that to the kitchen table this Thanksgiving. The next quote, virtue is nothing without the trial of temptation, for there is no conflict without an enemy. No victory without strife. This is where you often listen to the old line from, I hate to say it, the Beatles, the song, Imagine. That world does not exist, okay, in the Garden of Paradise before the fall. But after that, it's kind of been downhill ever since and ain't going to get totally rectified in Christ Jesus until the end of time. I.e., don't be looking for the technocrats and the oligarchs and the New World Order people to promise you anything that's going to last. It's all a pipe dream and a smoke screen. So as long as we got original sin, we need the contrast to know the good. Evil sometimes is said to be necessary. Oh, happy fault is the old phrase from theology books. The next quote, those who are not good to others are bad to themselves. Hmm. Those who are not good to others are basically not loving of themselves. That somehow they don't have a sense of wanting to be that blessing that Paul Harvey referred to at the beginning of the show. That that we are to be a blessing to others. Well, you got to love yourself in order to be that way. That's that healthy, good love of self, not selfishness. So you cannot give what you do not have. This is why turbulence within marriages or family life is so devastating because you can go a whole lifetime with a a loathing of your own self. And then you can't reach out. No empathy. In fact, it usually turns into entitlement. You think you have the right to brush off people because you were brushed off at one time. And it goes on and on and on, the merry-go-round. Don't let it. It's called confession. St. Leo's next quote. Peace is the first thing the angels sang. Peace is the mark of the children of God. Peace is the nurse of love. Peace is the mother of unity. Peace is the rest of the blessed souls. Peace is the dwelling place of eternity. For whatever reason, the quote is coming to my mind, to love and know that one is love can recreate the whole world. And then the next quote I think of is to know that one is in the silent presence of the other. 
And you don't have to say a word. Think of a couple that is in love with each other. True love. Not playing games with each other's heads. There's such a sense of peace. I'm reminded of a turbulent plane ride from San Jose to Chicago. It was up and down, frightening to most, but not this elderly couple by my side who just had serenity on their foreheads. They were completely at peace. And I knew right then and there, boy, do I've got work to do in this life. <laughs> that is eternity. Peace and love. The next quote, let no one be ashamed of the cross by which Christ has redeemed the world. None of us must be afraid to suffer for the sake of justice or doubt the fulfillment of the promises. For it is through toil that we come to rest and through death that we come to life. This is the paradox of our faith, folly to the world and wisdom for believers. And just remember that when you are being insulted, ridiculed, excoriated, rejoice. The litany of humility prayer becomes your very best friend. Lord, help me not seek to be extolled, but to extol. Not to be praised, but to praise. Or as St. Francis would say, for it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. The next quote, The faith by which we live shall never vary in any age, for one is the faith which sanctifies the just of all ages. Oh, I love that one right there, because it's so completely contradictory to so many that are trying to change the church right now post-synod on synodality. The faith by which we live shall never vary in any age. The unchanging deposit of faith that goes from generation to generation till the end of time. This is the commission given to the Peter and the apostles, and they are under that responsibility whether they like it or not, and they don't have the right to make any major changes. They can articulate the truths of our faith in the modern jargon of the world to make it more understandable. That's all okay, but they cannot tinker. And I just recently heard from the words of the great Father Charles Murr that there's a new edition of the Jerome Biblical Commentary, which is a primary standard source on the bookshelf of every major Catholic seminary worldwide, I guarantee. And in this new edition, the actual words of Scripture have been tinkered with. Not going to happen, and woe to them that do such things. And I won't say who provided the foreword to the book. But you can take three guesses. The next quote, He that sees another in error and endeavors not to correct it testifies himself to be in error. Which I guess brings us to the title of our upcoming book review, Who Are You? To judge. Well, indeed, we are our brother's keeper, and we have that responsibility in fraternal charity to correct, admonish, point out, indeed, teach our brother and sister who appears to be in error. And such is not judging anybody to heaven, hell, or purgatory. It's simply caring about that individual and their soul for eternity. And so you provide the tutelage, whatever it might be about, so that they don't make the mistakes in the future. That is called love. A true worshiper is one whose mind has not been defiled with any false belief. Well, this is ever so apropos for our time because we like to believe that there are no true beliefs. But false beliefs, we're okay with those. You mean some things are true and some things are false? Oh, how intolerant. 
<laughs> Who are we to judge? Our book review on the other side. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Let us be grateful for all of God's creation, but not for its own sake. The song gets it right. Mayor Brennan, Joan Hogg, and Margaret Becker hear all creation. chapter 5, Getting Freedom Right, and I'd say a quick summary of our last session is the following paragraph. Professor Sri says, this is the tragedy of the modern notion of freedom. When I train myself in the name of my personal freedom to pursue what I want, when I want, how I want, as often as I want, I'm not free. I'm a slave. I become a slave to my own interests. It's not easy for me to make sacrifices for others to serve other people's needs because I'm always doing what I want and keeping my options open to what is enjoyable for me. And then he finishes the chapter with a little excerpt regarding It's a Wonderful Life upcoming at your local theater. I hope so at Christmas time. A model for true freedom, he says, is found in Frank Capra's classic film, It's a Wonderful Life. One thing that makes this story so inspiring to generation after generation is that it showcases ordinary, everyday heroism a heroism everyone can relate to. Unlike most heroes today, the beloved main character, George Bailey, finds his adventure not in sports or on the battlefield in some foreign land. Rather, George discovers his great adventure in the middle of his normal daily life with his family, friends, and community in the small town of Bedford Falls. George certainly had dreams full of travel, excitement, university studies, and seeing the world, but those plans gave way one by one to a deeper sense of responsibility to his family and community. As his life goes on, he starts to feel frustration and regret 
as he watches those he grew up with living their dreams while he remains in Bedford Falls. When tragedy strikes and he is in danger of going to prison because of someone else's mistake, he despairs and considers suicide, wondering if his life has meaning and whether all his sacrifices were worth it. Just at that moment, his guardian angel, Clarence, appears to help him to see the profound meaning of his life again. Clarence does this by showing him what Bedford Falls would be like if George had never been born. He takes George on a tour through the town, visiting all the people whom George had impacted throughout the years, his mother, wife, uncle, the local druggist, a girl he knew from childhood. But in this world, without George Bailey, his mother ends up a cranky, suspicious old widow, his wife a nervous spinster, his uncle a crazy man, the druggist a ruined drunk, and his childhood friend a prostitute. The town itself is now controlled by the antagonist of the film, Potter, who has the people of Bedford Falls under his thumb, all because George Bailey was never there to stop him. At the end of this journey through a George Bailey-less Bedford Falls, George realizes the enormous gap left by his absence and just how wonderful his life really is. And his life is, in fact, wonderful precisely because he chose to live for something much bigger than himself and the pursuit of his own interests. He used his freedom to live for others. In the words of author William Kilpatrick, who happens to be an old academic reference of my own. The life of George Bailey is a hero story. He is, moreover, a hero we can readily identify with. His heroism is the heroism of sustained commitment in the face of unlooked-for burdens and unforeseen turns of fate. His heroism, like that of most adults, consists in refusing the temptation to be free and uncommitted. Being free in the sense of being uncommitted, that's what modern man aims for. Always keeping options open not wanting to be tied down. But living this way never satisfies the desires of the heart. It isolates us. It leaves us restless, always hankering for something more. Only when we give up our freedom to do whatever we selfishly want all the time do we discover a greater freedom, the freedom to love. Only in relationships of sustained commitment will we find our happiness. St. John Paul II said, As Carol Wotia, who would become Pope, once explained, love consists of a commitment which limits one's freedom. It is a giving of the self. To give oneself means just that, to limit one's freedom on behalf of another. Limitation of one's freedom might seem to be something negative and unpleasant, but love makes it a positive, joyful, and creative thing. Freedom exists for the sake of love. And I just finished the movie as I'm speaking tonight. Carol, the man who became Pope. What a magnificent movie that precisely exemplifies what Professor Sri is talking about in George Bailey, because St. John Paul II had all the gifts. An actor by trade and education and yearning in his youth. Philosophically, no doubt. I'm sure a prime candidate for the legal profession. A very handsome man with a great oratory. He had many options, many options, and most especially the option of getting married to a gal, which he forsook because he knew that God was calling him to something else. And he pursued that in faith, not quite knowing at the time where he was being led out of that relationship with the girlfriend, but into a more important relationship. And I only say more important because he was doing the will of God. Marriage would have been an equally important holy option, but it wasn't God's will. So I have to reflect on my good dad, John Michael Kilcoyne of Clinton fame, because dad also 
had all the gifts. And could have been a Hollywood actor. My good mom often wondered most reflectively whether that should have been the road to travel. As far as I'm concerned, he could well have been the president. I've got four personal letters from JFK to dad, and you would have thought that dad was the president. I have many of his books from Holy Cross in Cicero and drama. He was a drama major. Dad could play the violin and the accordion by ear. Outstanding athlete, especially in baseball and basketball. And what did he do? He married a local Clinton gal, Mary Frances, and had a beautiful family, united and happy in the Catholic faith, and then proceeded to be the president of every major civic committee in Clinton, Mass., in giving himself totally to the town he loved so well as our Irish know what I'm saying. So it's a mystery. It's a paradox. He didn't give up his dreams. He found his biggest dream as he let worldly dreams disappear joyfully. Professor Sri puts it this way. When I was single, I could choose to live where I wanted, work where I wanted, spend my money how I wanted, and spend my time how I wanted. I was free, quote unquote, in the modern sense free to do what I wanted. But when I got married and started having children, my life changed dramatically. I couldn't just do what I wanted all the time. I couldn't come home and say, hi, honey, I spent all our money on the way home from work tonight and bought a new sports car. Or I quit my job today and I'm moving to California. Want to come with me? As a husband and father, I need to think constantly about what is best for my family, not just what I want to do in my life. I could view my wife and children only as limitations on my freedom, people who are constantly restricting me and preventing me from doing what I want all the time. But these limitations are good for me. They help me to get outside myself and live for something bigger. And my life is so much enriched by them. I could have more money, more free time, more sleep, and more energy if I didn't have to care for these people in my life. But would I be happier? No way. I wouldn't trade anything in the world for Beth, Madeline, Paul, Teresa, Carl, Luke, Josephine, Chiara, and Eleanor. They have enriched my life in so many ways, expanding my heart and helping me to grow in love. And that's the great mystery of love. In other transactions in life, if I give something away, then I don't have it anymore. But love is different. When I give of myself to love another person, I don't lose anything. Rather, I gain something more. My life is profoundly enriched. I find greater joy and happiness in life because I'm living the way God has made me for self-giving love. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is what Thanksgiving is all about. Blessings from WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoin, TalkCatholic.com. Say, Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless. <laughs>